Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Without further ado, let's start off with the show. Raw starts off with Becky Lynch coming down in her ring attire, and she's talked about the Royal Rumble. She talks about her opponent, Dewdrop, and how last week she helped Dewdrop get the win in that the Royal Rumble, she's going to beat Dewdrop, and then you get Dewdrop coming out. Dewdrop talks about how she's going to beat Becky to become the new Raw Women's Champion at the Royal Rumble, and then we get Bianca Belair and Liv Morgan coming out. We get all four women basically just squandering and talking amongst themselves until Dewdrop basically has to cut it and say that we got to get this match started. Leaks, do we can do this right now? And it ends up being a tag team match with a referee basically at ringside, and we get the team of Liv Morgan and Bianca Belair going against. Uh, Becky Lynch and Dewdrop. By the way, in that whole little squirrel, it was announced that Bianca Belair and both Liv Morgan have entered themselves into the Royal Rumble. Well, the women's Royal Rumble, and Bianca Belair plans on being a two-time Royal Rumble winner and main eventing WrestleMania again. Anyway, now to the tag team match. The tag team match is won by Becky Lynch and Dewdrop when Becky Lynch hits Liv Morgan with the manhandle slam. And then she pins Liv, but Dewdrop comes in and hits Becky in the back because Dewdrop wants to win in the shine for it. So she has to drag uh, Becky over to her corner, tag herself in. She runs and hits her uh, crossbody splash onto Liv Morgan and then pins Liv. As Becky is now still laid out next to the turnbuckle, Dewdrop goes over to the turnbuckle, climbs it up and hits a bonsai drop onto Becky Lynch to send a message to Becky at the Royal Rumble that she's going to basically take her Raw Women's Championship. The tag team match was alright. There's nothing bad about it. I mean, it was cool. I'm just, like, over certain things, and this is, like, one of them. I just want the Royal Rumble to hurry up and get done with, like, for this specifically. Because I already know we're going to have some uh, Fugazi way of Becky's going to beat Dewdrop. I mean, it'll be a shocker if Dewdrop does beat Becky, but I don't see that in the cards, and I don't think nobody else sees that in the cards. I think we're going to get a good uh, match out of the two, but I'm just ready for that just to get done with. Anyway, um, we go to the next segment, and it's Kevin Owens having this KO show, and the special guest is Seth Rollins. Him and Seth have a funny back and forth between each other. Kevin Owens says that he can't wait for Seth to beat Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble, and Kevin Owens announces that he has entered himself into the Royal Rumble, and he wants to win it, so at WrestleMania, they can have the match, Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins, at WrestleMania for the Universal Championship, and the funny thing about this is, if people can go back two years ago, we got this match in the empty arena when COVID first started, it was Seth versus Kevin Owens, but Kevin Owens was the good guy in that rivalry, while Seth was still the bad guy, and as we go two years now, forward as in right now, present time. Kevin Owens is a bad guy with Seth Rollins. They're both buddying, buddying up, but if we all know it's Kevin Owens' past, he always turns on his best friends. Anywho, um, they have this little funny back and forth, whatever. Damian Priest comes out, and he says that he's tired of hearing both of them talk, and he reveals to Kevin Owens that he just got done talking to Adam Pearson that their match between each other will be beginning right now. Kevin Owens isn't look like he's ready for ring 
like wrestling right now. He's still got regular pants on. He's still got his regular shirt on, like the KO shirt, but he doesn't have his hands taped up and anything. So they go to commercial break. They come back. Kevin Owens is now has his hands taped up. He has his wrestling shorts on. He has his wrestling boots. So it doesn't take long for Kevin Owens to get himself ready. Anyway, they have their match. It's a nice, solid match that Kevin Owens and uh, Damian Priest have. It was solid, but the thing is, Kevin Owens wins by sneaky under tactics because Kevin Owens acts like his knee is messing with him, and he's really playing it up so well that the referee has to go over there and ask him, is he okay? Damian Priest is at one point like, yo, is he even, is he okay, or is he joking right now? Because Damian Priest doesn't believe Kevin Owens because Kevin Owens has the whole deal that he's a snake, he's a liar, and all this type of stuff. So, um, Kevin Owens is really acting it up like his knee is really hurting him. The referee goes over there, check on his knee. He asks Kevin, can he still wrestle? Kevin Owens tells him, yeah, yeah, I can still wrestle. Damian Priest gets so close in and he gets so sucked in that Kevin Owens was able to bypass the ref and quickly hit Damian Priest with a stunner and pin Damian Priest. So now he has a win over Damian. So what that means is Kevin Owens is probably next in line for a United States Championship match. And we're probably going to get that two weeks from now, or if not two weeks, next week. But I'll probably say two weeks because WWE is that type of deal. Because next week is the Royal Rumble, by the way. So I don't think we're going to get a United States Championship match on Raw next week. So probably two weeks from now. Um. Anyway, after this, we get Finn Balor going against Austin Theory. Uh. Austin Theory beats Finn Balor because before the match begins, Austin Theory is told by Vince McMahon that if he doesn't win, he's going to have Austin Theory be drugged, like drugged, like somebody drag him to his office and Vince McMahon is going to beat him up, break his bones, break his face and just basically bloody him, beat him up to a bloody pulp and basically make him ugly. It's kind of weird hearing this from Vince McMahon. I'm not going to lie, because Vince is an old, like, man. And if you hear how he's saying it to him, he looks like he's turned into Joker mode whenever he says it. I want people to look back at that segment, literally, and look at Vince's whole face and demeanor. And tell me you don't get, like, Joker vibe off of Vince McMahon. Anyway, Austin Theory does beat Finn Balor when he hits with the ATL. And that's basically a fireman's carry turned over into a knee drop. And... That's it. And then after the match, Austin Theory beats down on Finn Balor some more, takes a selfie of Finn Balor laying on the ground, and then he walks away. I mean, it's cool. I understand what they're trying to do with Austin Theory, but my whole point is, why is Finn Balor being the guy that has to be sacrificed for this? Is Finn Balor going to get like a big major win somewhere down the line? I mean, like probably the Royal Rumble or probably something else like big, probably like the Elimination Chamber. I don't, I don't understand it. Every time Finn Balor has had a run on the main roster, it doesn't turn out good. The only time he's ever, and I mean ever, had a good run was technically his first run on the main roster. And that was like in 2016 when he first got called up from NXT, but it got cut. And I mean cut hard because of an injury that he got with Seth Rollins at SummerSlam. And he dislocated his shoulder and he had to give up the Universal Championship literally the next night. And ever since that, night I feel that WWE the big time like brass in WWE has really never seen Finn Balor as the guy anymore I mean they have their little moments they'll pick and choose it but it just seems to me that they don't really see Finn as the guy that can carry them as somebody did in 2016 Finn was the man in 2016 when he got to the main roster he comes up 
spends a couple weeks. He beats Roman Reigns to cut to um, put himself in the SummerSlam match to crown the first ever Universal Champion. He beats Seth Rollins at SummerSlam to be the first ever Universal Champion, but he dislocates his shoulder. He has to give up the belt, and it just seems to me that somebody in the top brass just doesn't view Finn as the man as once as he should be viewed as. But the thing is, you know it's not Triple H because every time Finn has gone back to NXT, he goes and hits home runs and home runs over and over again. So he can prove to everybody that he can actually do this. It's just that the main roster ain't for him. So I can see Finn leaving WWE. I don't know when his contract is up, but best believe he's not staying with WWE after this contract in my eyes because they're not doing something with Finn. It's always, okay, we're going to feed Finn to somebody else or we're going to not do much with Finn. And that's about it. When Finn should be in the main event category spots instead of being fed to an Austin Theory. But if it leads to a Finn winning the Royal Rumble, I'm cool with it. And I know I want Big E to win, but I'm cool with Finn winning this because Finn has been treated like dirt every time on the main roster since he's come back from his injury in 20, what, 17? But that's besides the point here. Um, I forgot to mention, there was a graduation, if you will, of the Alpha Academy. Alpha Academy threw a graduation situation for Otis because uh, they won the Raw Tag Team Championships last week. And Chad Gable comes out there with Otis. They're both dressed up in, like, graduate uh, cap and gown. And then we get uh, Chad Gable basically saying how he's proud of Otis learning underneath him and doing everything and applying all the uh, teaching methods that Gable has been teaching to Otis for all this time. The crowd is booing him, and my brother is watching the segment with me. And we both get a kick out of Chad Gable say, don't you boo, don't you boo education, that's gross. And we both laugh at that hard because everybody don't, just to say, booing education is gross, it's funny. It's funny in any context you want to just throw it at. Just see that segment and just, you'll know that it's, it's funny. It brings back to early Kurt Angle, like real early Kurt Angle, like when he got hair and he came into WWE, well, F at the time. Look at that promo and look at Gable, what he's doing now. You can see the similarities between the two. Just want to throw that out there. Anyway, during the whole segment, Riddle comes out there and he has his own cap and gown. It's green, but like orange on the arms. And main point is, he's out here to say that him and Randy is going to be challenging for the Raw Tag Team Championships. Uh, Gable says, well, the only way you get to do that is if you and Randy beat me and Otis in a brain triathlon, meaning that they're going to be asked series of questions to see who's the smartest tag team. Once Gable throws that challenge out to Riddle, you see the camera pans directly into a close-up on Otis's face, and you see Otis have like this dumb look of worry and concern because Otis is not the smartest of guys on the main roster. He might be a smart guy, like literally outside the ring, but on the main roster in the way that he's portrayed, he's like a dumb meathead. And you can see that he is, like, nervous about this. Otis um, then gets out of his cap and gown to go and try to fight Riddle on the outside of the ring. But whenever we go back to the camera points to the inside of the ring, we see Randy sneakily come in and hit Chad Gable with an RKO. And then you see Otis try to get back in the ring, but Riddle runs down and hits a flying knee to the back of Otis. 
So we get Riddle slide into the ring. He hands Randy uh, Otis's cap and gown. Randy puts it on. And I swear to God, I thought I would never see Randy Orton in a cap and gown. That's just something that you don't think you will see with Randy Orton's character. You don't. Look at his evolution, literally. Comes in as a young punk. He plays the playboy guy that likes all the women. Women love him. He turns into the guy that really doesn't care. He's just that good in the ring. And then he turns into Randy Orton, like the psychopath, like the guy that hears voices in his head. That was literally his natural progression to being like primetime Randy Orton. And now we're getting funny, like like serious guy, but still like he can lean into the funny when he wants to. Randy Orton, and he's leaning into it with Riddle, and Riddle's bringing that out of him, and I thought we would never see Randy, like, really playing, like, playing, playing with the whole, uh, funny bits, but he's doing it with Riddle, and so that tells you that he likes Riddle. Um, Randy gets on the mic, he tells Alpha Academy that they accept, so more or less next week, we're probably gonna get this whole brain teaser, this brain, uh, triathlon deal between these two teams. Anyway, after this, we get the match. We were supposed to get Ray Ripley going against Nikki A.S.H. That match never technically happens because once Nikki and Rhea are in the ring, you get Queen Selena and Carmella coming out. They mock both women, and they basically tell Rhea that, you know what, you should be thanking us because we showed you that Nikki was the woman woman weighing your team down, and they're starting to trash Nikki. And it's odd to see Carmella and, not odd, but Carmella and Queen Selena are, like, trashing so like Nikki in the Nikki right there as Nikki is talk looking at Rhea and Rhea's looking at Queen Selena and Carmella and you don't see Nikki get out the ring to attack Carmella and Queen Selena. No, she decides to attack Rhea Ripley. It doesn't make sense to me what her words what their words got so bad into Nikki's head that Nikki has to attack Rhea Ripley because of you think that Rhea is paying attention to what they're saying it's weird but hey that's the story that we're going with but anyway Rhea gets beat up by Nikki and that's the end of that we never get the matchup they're probably saving that and more or less when that match actually does happen we're probably going to get a ruthless side of uh, Rhea Ripley to beat up on Nikki because in reality aspects when you look at the two let's be honest Rhea should beat up on Nikki A.S.H. for this and Rhea is too strong to be like dominant, not be dominant over Nikki. Just gonna be real with it. Uh, next we get a squash match. Omos going against uh Reggie. Omos gets in the ring, and before the match even happens, we get Akira Tozawa, R Truth, and Tamina coming down to try to chase Dana Brooke because Dana Brooke is with Reggie, and Dana Brooke is still the twenty four seven champion, and they're chasing after her. And Omos was able to take out both. R-Truth and the characters out before the ref calls for the bell, but Tamina gets on the ring apron. She stares at Omos. Omos stares at her. Tamina gets off the ring apron. He turns around. The referee rings the bell. Reggie jumps off the top rope. Omos catches him in midair, hits a double-handed choke slam, puts his foot on Reggie's chest. That's it. No more. None less. No need to be said. After this, we get the uh, eight-man tag team match of the Street Profits and the Mysterios. Going against the Dirty Dogs and Apollo Crews and Commander Aziz. Uh, the Mysterios and Street Profits beat the Dirty Dogs and Apollo Crews and Commander Aziz. Uh, it was a fine match. Oh, yeah. 
the Street Profits hit their tag team finish, basically the spring, uh, the spine buster from Angelo Dawkins. Then Montez Ford hits a frog splash onto Apollo for the win. It was a straightforward eight man tag team match. Nothing bad. It was it was fine. Um, but after the match, you got all four men. You got the Street Profits and Dominic and Rey Mysterio in the ring, and they're celebrating their win. You see the Mysterios like go over and throw the Street Profits out of the ring, and they're having fun with it because they know both teams know that they're supposed to be that they're going to be in the Royal Rumble, so they're trying to just have that one ups man gamesmanship. Once they do that, they stare at the Street Profits on the outside of the ring. They smile at them and say, come on, dog, you know what it is. And the Street Profits don't look like they have no problem with it. They smile about it like, all right, cool, I got you. Then you see Ray throw his son out the ring, and then you hear the Street Profits basically clown Dominic saying, yeah, that's your father. Your father threw you out. That's your father. And you see Ray just do the, you can't see me to Dominic, and he's smiling to him, and he's like, come on, son, you know what it is. So I want to see these tag teams literally like, it's always fun at the Royal Rumble. You get to see tag teams throw each other over or they work together, but then we're going to see who basically is going to really be the one to throw each other over and see who is going to be the one to be the one to like turn on their tag team partner. It's going to be fun. The Royal Rumble is always a little fun, quirky little event that we have here. Anyway, main event time. Bobby Lashley going against Seth Rollins. They have a good little back and forth match between each other, but it gets... It gets stopped by disqualification, and it looks like in they never really give a winner. Lashley gets pulled out of the ring, and he gets tagged by both Sutton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander, and they beat him up on the outside of the ring, but Bobby Lashley is able to overcome both of them. He hits a spear on Cedric. I believe it was Cedric. or Sh- Nope, it was Shelton. He hits a spear on Shelton outside of the ring on through the barricade, and he beats up on... Uh, Cedric Alexander, Seth Rollins is in the ring and he's watching all this. And coming from the crowd, you see the Usos run down. They pop into the ring. They're waiting for Seth to turn around. Once Seth turns around, he eats a double super kick from uh, the Usos. And the Usos walk out of the ring. They throw their ones up in the air. So you knew this was a sign sent from Roman to Seth Rollins. And you know Seth has to go to Raw SmackDown. Seth's more than lessly going to go to SmackDown and going to do some of the Roman Reigns. We know this is going to happen. So this is going to be the continuing of the one-upsmanship between Seth and Roman Reigns all the way up to their Royal Rumble match at next week on Saturday. But we'll get to that whenever it's time for SmackDown. But anyway, that was your Raw highlights of the week. Now on to NXT. NXT starts off with LA Knight, uh going backstage and he's asking people have they seen Grayson Waller out there and they say nah so Ellie Knight gets into the ring he has his promo he talks about why he has beef with Grayson Waller he talks about how it started at Halloween Havoc how Grayson had his car be messed with so he couldn't make it there but he couldn't get the job done he then talks about how at War Games Grayson Waller did one semi-cool move and he still couldn't get the job done by beating L.A. Knight there at War Games. Even though they're Team 1, he didn't take out L.A. Knight. And then he talks about how he had to take L.A. Knight out at the parking lot whenever L.A. Knight took one of Grayson Waller's, well, potential chicks because the chick didn't want to be with Waller. She wanted to be with Grace, uh, L.A. Knight. So Waller had to take out Knight at the parking lot. Waller comes out. After hearing all of this, he tells L.A. Knight that he got a restraining order against him and that L.A. Knight can't be within 50 feet of Grayson Waller. 
Ellie Knight gets the restraining order. He tells Waldo, you know what? That's impressive, even for you. So here's the deal. You might have a restraining order against me, but you don't have one for this man. Waller turns around, the music hits, and it's Dexter Lumen's music. And remember, Dexter still has a beef with Waller because he took out Johnny Gargano. And I believe he also beat up on Dexter Lumen's too, like the week after that too. I believe that's what he did. I could be wrong, but I believe so. Uh, Dexter is creeping out from underneath the ring. He's about to lock in the silencer on Grayson Waller. Grayson was able to slip out of the silencer and now Grayson's in between a rock and a hard place between LA Knight and Dexter Loomis so now LA Knight tells Grayson you got two choices either A you fight me tonight and throw out this restraining order, or either B you go against Loomis those are your two choices that you got either way you're getting your butt kicked tonight so it goes to commercial when it comes back from commercial we see the match happening and it's Grayson Waller going against Dexter Loomis LA Knight's nowhere around the vicinity Grayson Waller does beat Dexter Loomis with help from a mysterious man because whenever Grayson Waller and Dexter Loomis were fighting on the outside of the ring, Waller was able to push Loomis into the commentary table and then he was able to get himself back into the ring. While Waller is trying to go back to the outside of the ring, the referee gets in between him so he can't do that. So as this happens, you see a big mysterious man like come out of nowhere. He grabs Dexter Loomis, throws him into the ring post, and then throws Dexter back into the ring. Then you see Waller get out of the ring. He uh, runs from the ring apron, rolls into the ring. He hits a rolling cutter on Dexter Loomis for the win. And we come to find out this man has been paid off by uh, Grayson Waller. And this is Grayson Waller's new uh, security. And if you do a little bit more research on it, this guy is also one half of the Indy Sheer tag team. And this was the guy that technically kind of leaked the information, I want to say it was, yeah, it was two years ago. By God, it was two years. Anyway, uh, two years ago when uh, Keith Lee won the NXT and the NXT North American Championship from uh, Adam Cole at the Great American Bash special two years ago, this was the guy that accidentally well, leaked that information to the world. And he hasn't been seen nowhere, no time soon since that incident and now he's back in NXT he's the guy with Waller it's and he hasn't even gotten a name yet he hasn't gotten a name but that was the last time we've seen him but now he's apparently back in NXT he's apparently back in somebody's good graces after being like sat out for a whole solid year and some months after this we get to the corner finals of the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classics it's Briggs and Jensen going against the Creed Brothers with Malcolm Bivens at their corner, the Creed Brothers win the match by pinfall, and they will be advancing to the semifinals when the Creed Brothers were able to hit assisted powerbomb on Josh Briggs, and then Julius Creed hits his signature, like, clothesline onto Briggs, covers him for the pin. It was a good, solid match between these two teams. You had the fans invested in both of these two teams. They actually cared about the match. People were chanting for the Creed Brothers throughout the whole matchup, even though they're technically a bad guy tag team, but it was a good, solid tag team match between these two teams i recommend you watching it after this we get dante chin going against uh guru raj this is dante's first match since uh september when he injured his knee in training and he's been out with that injury so now he's back he wants to make a statement on nxt but that kind of doesn't happen because this match ends in a disqualification when duke hudson attacks both men 
when they're on the outside of the ring. Dante gets thrown back into the ring by Duke and then gets hit with a powerbomb. Duke is sporting a buzz cut. He's not sporting a bald head. I knew that he wasn't going to come back with a bald head. Duke Hudson doesn't work with a bald head. He can work with a buzz cut. I knew him being bald wasn't going to be the situation. So him being off NXT for these weeks, that kind of was the reason why we haven't seen him. So again, I'm cool with seeing Duke Hudson back. I just wish he would have did this like after the match. He didn't have to ruin this guy's like literal first match coming back from knee injury. I would have did it technically to the out to like after the match, but that's just my little uh armchair quarterbacking after this. Well, after this whole situation has already happened. Anyway, after this match, we get a say in-ring segment of Tony D'Angelo throwing a memorial service for Pete Dunn. The whole thing with it is that Tony D'Angelo talks about how he's done with Pete Dunn and that now he's going to be one of some gold around his waist. And he says specifically, I want the North American championship. And then we get Trick Williams and Carmelo coming out from their little perch on NXT. And you see Melo taking offense to Tony wanting his championship. You hear Trick tell Tony that I thought we were boys. Tony told him, no, we're not boys. We're partners, maybe. But boys, no, I got my own boys. You're not it. We then get Cameron Grimes coming out here to tell Tony that he has to wait to the back of the line because he comes out and talks about how he told Carmelo last week that he was going to challenge him for the North American Championship like a man, and that's the reason why Tony has to wait to the back of the line. Melo gets on the mic, and he says, you know what? You two need to figure this out, so how about this? You two go against each other, wrestle each other, and then the winner might get a shot at the A Championship. Uh, Cameron says he's game, and he's cool with this because it doesn't matter whether it's Trick, it doesn't matter whether it's Carmelo, it doesn't matter whether it's Tony, he has a rocket strapped directly to his back and he's going and he's going to the moon. Tony tries to cheap shot, tries to take a cheap, cheap shot onto Cameron, but Cameron ducks it and he ends up hitting Tony with a picture of Pete Dunn that was hang, that was like stationary there in the ring. And once he pops uh Tony in the head with the picture, Tony just sits down and he just feels basically uh defeated at that point. But we're getting that match next week on NXT. It's going to be Tony D'Angelo going against Cameron Grimes. Winner is the number one contender for the North American Championship. After this, we get a matchup between Kaylee Ray and Ivy Now with uh, Malcolm Bivens in her corner. Ivy Now wins the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Mandy Rose. Kaylee Ray had Ivy set up in the KLR bomb, but Mandy Rose comes down and she gets on the ring apron and then Kaylee Ray goes after Mandy and drops her from the ring apron. And then as she goes back to Ivy, she tries to put her back in the KLR bomb. But this time Ivy was able to reverse it, roll up Kaylee Ray for the win. I thought, I'm not going to lie to you, as this match was happening, and these two had a nice solid match between each other, I thought that we were going to see Ivy now be beaten by Kaylee Ray. I didn't want that to happen, and I'm glad we got Ivy now to still win, because Ivy I still see as a future, like, person to be like really surrounding the NXT women's division around because she might be small but she has power she has speed she has a lot of things that work in her favor and I see her literally as being one of the and I and I don't mean to rip off this thing but like a crown jewel of the NXT women's division like they just got to polish her up a little bit more and just get her in the right path and she could literally be one of the women to be headlining and really like being like driving the NXT women's division into the future down the road. I see that with Ivy. I truly do. Um, but 
I thought we were going to see her lose tonight. And it didn't happen. So, um, after the match, you get all the toxic attraction coming out to beat up on Kaylee Ray. They beat up on her. And this continues to happen until Persia Parada and Indy Hartwell come out to even out the odds. And you see Persia, Indy, and Kaylee Ray send toxic attraction out of the ring. And it gets announced that next week on NXT, it'll be a six-woman tag team match. It'll be toxic attraction, all three women, going against Kaylee Ray, Persia Parada, and Indy Hartwell. After this, we get another quarterfinals tag team match of the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic. It's Legado del Fantasma with Santos and Electra Lopez in their corner, going against Malik Blade and Idris Inafi. Malik and Idris wins the match by pinfall, thanks to distraction, basically by everyone. And what I mean by everyone is whenever Santos basically sweeps the leg of Malik Blade, the referee sees this, he kicks Santos out of the ring, well, out of the match. Uh, Santos gets on the ring apron because he's not trying to leave the match. He's not trying to leave the ringside area, but Braun Breaker comes out. He grabs up Santos and starts walking with him basically almost to the back area. And while this is happening, you see Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde both set up Malik Blade for their tag finish. Raul runs the ropes. He gets pulled out of the ring by Idris Anafi. And then you see Malik Blade roll up uh, Joaquin Wilde for the win. And this was a surprise win because everybody thought that Legato de Fantasma was going to win this and they'll face whoever they're supposed to face next in the semifinals. But that's not happening. It's going to be Idris and Malik Blade. This was a shock win. And we're probably seeing Malik and Idris probably go to the finals if they got this win so far off. I wouldn't doubt that they'll probably be in the finals of the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic. It's going to be cool. If they do it, it's going to be fine. It's going to be cool. Because remember, this is NXT, the new era, and they want to push new young superstars. And Malik and Idris are new and young superstars. So we'll have to see whenever NXT uh, does happen. Well, their next episode next week. But also, this also does push the rivalry that we're getting of Santos Escobar and Braun Breaker. Because earlier in the night, Braun Breaker had an interview. And Electra Lopez walked in between the interview and kind of disrupted it. And she was trying to talk to Braun Breaker, but Braun had to cut her off and say, uh-uh, I don't want to hear it from you. I don't want to hear nothing. Listen, if Santos Escobar, if anybody wants to try to talk to me, he can do it to my face. He doesn't need to send anybody. Santos walks up and says, I'm not sending her. If I wanted to talk to you, trust me, I could talk to you. Thing is, that championship right there, you're a young pup. You're going to learn, and I'm going to teach you how it is to be a champion. You don't know what it's like to be a champion around here yet, but I'm going to teach you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take that championship from you, and you're going to watch and learn from me. So it's proving and it's showing during this match as well that we're going to get Santos going against Braun Breaker, and it's only the natural progression because Santos has been in NXT for a solid two years, almost going on two years now. He was Cruiserweight Champion in 2020. He lost in 2021. He won the North American Championship in 2021, never got it, but now he moved himself up to the main championship of NXT, the NXT Championship. So it's only natural progression that Santos wants to be the NXT World Champion. It's only natural. After this, we get the match of Dakota Kai going against Yulissa Leon with her tag partner, Valentina, in Leon's corner. Dakota wins the match by pinfall when she hits her patented running corner kick to Leon in the corner of the turnbuckle for the win. Solid match. I mean, they gave uh, Leon a lot in this match against Dakota Kai. I mean, 
they're trying to do something with Leon and Valentina because they had a video package earlier in the night for both of these two ladies, and they're trying to signify that they are a tag or a tag team, and they're more than likely will be in the Dusty Rhodes Women's uh, Tag Team Classic starting in February. Uh, anyway, after the match, Leon's tag partner uh, Valentina goes in to check in on her, but Dakota attacks her, and she even puts her now in the corner, uh, the corner turnbuckle, and she's ready to hit her with the corner kick, but Leon pulls Valentina out of the ring and now you are seeing Valentina and Leon basically looking at each other making sure they're both okay as Dakota is just staring at them Dakota is the woman in NXT that's basically scorned from a bad breakup she sees any woman tag team and she's basically trying to warn them that listen this is going to end up in heartbreak and tragedy or uh you know she doesn't care about you or something like that because she is still feeling the, uh, she still has the side effects from being, like, with Raquel Gonzalez and that whole, how that whole thing ended. She's basically the scorned woman of, she's basically the scorned woman of NXT, and that's basically Dakota Kai's whole new thing now in NXT. But again, that's Dakota Kai and Ulyssa Leon. Now we get to the main event. The great main event of NXT is Walter going against Roderick Strong with Michael Bivens in Roderick's corner. Uh, Walter wins the match by pinfall when he hits Strong with a power bomb and covers him. Wins the match. It was a great hard hitting uh, main event. You had Walter hitting his chops. You had Roderick hitting his chops. You had one point Walter trying to get at Malcolm Bivens and Roderick had to save Malcolm and basically attack. Walter and it was a good solid just a strong style match between Walter and Roderick Strong and you knew it was going to be a good main event match because it got Walter and it got Roderick Strong you got these two men in this match how could you go wrong anyway after the match this is where the internet kind of took offense to something after the match the ring announcer was about to announce and the winner do the traditional stuff Walter gets on the microphone and says, uh-uh, cut that. And he has to do it himself. He says, and the winner of this match is Gunter. I did not, at the time, understand what that was. I was like, okay, what does that mean? And we get the Creed brother, not the Creed brothers yet, but you get the rest of Imperium coming out there to beat up on Roderick Strong. And then we get the Creed brothers coming out to save Roderick Strong. And we get the... uh stable of Imperium going against Creed Brothers and Roderick Strong, basically Diamond Mind, and this lead ends NXT with a big brawl, but what the internet basically got into a frenzy was, and even myself, I gotta admit for a little bit, was that WWE has decided to change Walter's name into Gunther. Now, I got a little bit upset because why would you change a name like Walter? Why? It doesn't make sense you would change it to Gunther. It didn't make any sense to me, but I read a tweet from Shane Helms and it put it all in retrospect for me. Shane Helms talked about how he debuted in WWE and he said that I lost my name, I lost my interest music, I lost my gear, I lost the Cruiserweight Championship. Walter just lost his name. I'm pretty sure he'll be okay. And he put it all into retrospect and I thought about it and I said, you know what? He's right because in WCW, Shane Helms was Sugar Shane Helms, S-H-A-N-E. And whenever he got over to WWE, he couldn't call himself Shane Helms because apparently Vince doesn't want two Shanes on WWE product because you got uh, his son Shane McMahon and then it would have been Shane Helms. He didn't want that. So 
he had to go with Gregory Helms. So that's when we end up with Gregory Helms in WWE, or better known as the Hurricane. And I put into retrospect, and I thought, okay, is a name's a name. If he's still going to be the exact same big, brutal guy that he is, I'm cool with it. And apparently, that's where we're still headed. Him being the ring general, him still being this big guy that's basically going to beat you up, and that's about it. I'm cool with it. So, but the rest of the internet lost their mind. People are still going to call him Walter. I'm going to call him Gunter now. Let's see how long this lasts. A lot of people weren't happy with it. Shoot, I'm still not cool with it, but hey. Just looking at that tweet, it put it in a retrospect, and I'm like, all right, let's see where we go with this. Let's just see how we do this. But anyway, that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now on to AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite starts off with an in-ring promo from the returning John Moxley. And I must say, John Moxley looks a lot better. And I mean a lot, a lot better. My man comes out uh, looking skinnier, and he looks just better than when we last saw him last time we saw him he was sporting like the eagle's nest on his head but this time he has uh hair back on his head now he looks just he looks way better than what he used to i'm not gonna lie he looks like pre w like wwe era of john moxley he doesn't look muscle tone like he was back then but he looks just skinnied out he looks like he's back to himself he looks like he's actually happy now and it's weird to me because before he left, I said, okay, we're going to get a new version of John Moxley because it looks like the way that he was going with the weight that he was putting on himself and he looks like he was becoming like this old, like, grizzled out guy. I thought we were going to get a heel turn from John Moxley, but apparently he was really going against himself in real life. He was having these demons that he was fighting himself. So when he has, so when it comes out that he uh, entered himself into a rehab facility and he was getting himself together and now we see him back to being like himself himself like him like him being him it's just like okay we get John Moxley back that's cool I'm glad he beat his demons I'm glad to see him back on AEW I'm glad to see him just be himself it's just it's just weird to me and it's not weird in a bad way it's all good all good it's just that I want to see where we take the character of John Moxley now. We're still going to turn into the vein of him being a bad guy, or we're going to go back into the route of him being this tweener where he can do bad guy stuff, but he, people still love him. That's still the whole mystery point for John Moxley. And it looks like he might still be going into the tweener a lot because he talks about how he had to fight demons and that how he's beaten a demon and that now he's back here. He's Glad to be back to all the people that supported him. He want to say thank you to them and strap on because we're going to be going on a long, bumpy ride. And he told anybody that has written him off and doubt him that they can do that, but they can all shove it up their butts because he doesn't run from demons and he beats the crap out of them. And it was such an inspirational, like, in-ring promo from Moxley. It was because it gives everybody hope because people have gone through demons people are going through demons every day people are fighting going against their demons every single day and they're trying to beat them so with moxley being here being the beacon of hope for people that are going against their demons it's great to see this from moxley because he's the true like symbolism that hey if i can beat my demons you can beat yours too we can do this together there's don't just don't give up just continue on fighting on but anyway I'm glad to see John Moxley back in AEW, and I'm glad to see him back to being himself, back to being healthy. That's all that truly ever really does matter at the end of the day. After this, we get MGF in the backstage area with his 
well, bodyguard Warlow, and MGF has to talk to Warlow. He basically talks about how uh, last week CM Punk, CM Punk took the easy way out. CM Punk took uh, the easy win instead of taking his L as a man last week. CM Punk grabbed Warlow's hair and rolled him up and basically won after getting powerbombed to death by Warlow last week. And MJF tells the world that if Warlow had a little bit more seasoning, he could have kicked out of this. And you see Warlow kind of turn his head and look at MJF like, you got to be kidding me. And he just doesn't say nothing. He still holds it in. He's just... Warlow's a ticking time bomb. Something's really going to pop off, and he's really just going to murder MJF. But MJF does turn around and literally looks at Warlow and says, you know what? Today's your birthday, and you know what? I have to apologize to you because you have been a good friend to me. You have been a good partner to me for this solid year and couple months. And I just want to tell you that your birthday gift today is me apologizing to you for me putting my hands on you last week. It was unacceptable. I'm completely sorry. And he does have to say, however, you did put your hands on me last week, and I can't, I can't allow that because you know what? This has a bad precedence to everyone. So he tells Warlow he has to dock his pay, and he tells Warlow, listen, you win your qualifying match into the Face of the Revolution ladder match. You win that. You win the TNT Championship. And you hand it over to me. Hey, you'll start seeing that money get right back up there to you, and you'll start getting more. There's no hard feelings towards this. And he tells the camera, and he goes right back to it. He talks about how Sean Spears is going to be beating up CM Punk later tonight, and he tells, uh, he ends with his signature slogan, I'm MGF, I'm better than you, and he puts his arm around Warlow, and he says, and you know it. So it seems to me that Warlow is going to turn on MGF soon, but when, we have no idea. First match of the night is Adam Cole and Britt Baker going against Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander. Makes tag team match. It's a good uh, match to open up AEW Dynamite. Uh, at the end of it, however, we get Britt Baker going through a table by her own, uh, her own fault, if you will, because her and Adam Cole dragged the commentator, not the commentator, but the ringside, uh, like people that carry the bell and all that type of stuff, the timekeeper, they grab that table, they bring it over to the ring and they wanted to put like Orange Cassidy through the table, but Adam Cole gets in the ring, Orange Cassidy runs the ropes, and Britt Baker's on one of the ringside area right next to the table. She's on the ring apron, and Orange Cassidy tried to catch himself, but he still hits the rope, and Britt Baker happens to pop off that rope and fall through the table. Orange Cassidy turns around, and he sees that what he's done. He's like, oh, no. Adam Cole sees this, and he starts getting furious, and when the referee's looking at Britt Baker to see if she's okay... Adam Cole goes right behind Orange Cassidy, hits him with a low blow, and then hits him with a running knee to the back of the head, the boom, and beats and covers Orange Cassidy, pins him, and beats him. So you get Adam Cole and Britt Baker beating Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander. You had Orange Cassidy and Chris being able to get their stuff in. They were able to beat up on Adam Cole and Britt Baker. You, It was a solid mixed tag team match, all in all. Later, you get Adam Cole getting backstage. He gets on the mic, and he talks about how next week at Beach Break is going to be him going against Orange Cassidy in a lights-out match. And the last time they did say this on AEW, the last time they did have a lights-out match was Britt Baker going against Thunder Rosa. So we're going to see if Adam Cole and Orange Cassidy basically can top that next week. Uh, Chris Jericho, Santana, and Ortiz are showing backstage. Jericho is told that Kingston got injured last week uh, by... 2.0 and Daniel Garcia. Jericho says that he doesn't care that 
Kingston got injured and he can go F himself. That's why he says G-F-Y. And he points out that it doesn't matter that Eddie Kingston got injured. He doesn't care that Eddie Kingston got injured. Santana and Ortiz had to tell Jericho, whoa, whoa, you can't be doing that. You might not care, but we care. Eddie's our boy. And then we get Santana telling Jericho, listen, what Kingston said last week is really has been really dawning on me. You haven't been really having our back because we've always had yours. You're you are the reason why we haven't been the AEW World Tag Team Champions yet. We have been constantly fighting your battles. When was the last time you actually had our back? Jericho told him, "Listen, I had your back with 2.0." And Santana Ortiz had to stop him, say, "Uh-uh, truly. When was the last time you really had our back?" And they point out how next week we're going to see that. We're going to see if you have our back because next week is going to be Jericho, Santana Ortiz going against Daniel Garcia in 2.0. And we're going to see if Jericho truly has Santana and Ortiz's back. And this is pointing right into Inner Circle basically disbanding. It's more or less probably going to be Jake Hager probably being the muscle for Chris Jericho, uh, Sammy being by himself, and Ortiz and Santana probably even being with Eddie or Eddie probably being with those two. We'll, we'll have to see how that goes because, again, everybody's been saying the same thing. Why is it Santana and Ortiz tag team champions? It's weird because, again, the tag team division were kind of built off Santana, Young Bucks, and the Lucha Brothers. No disrespect to any other tag team, but those are the three that we thought, okay, those will be the world tag team champions. Two out of those three have already been tag team champions. Santana and Ortiz have not, so we're going to see when that, when they actually get their hands on the tag team titles. and We're going to see how they carry them. But right now the inner circle is uh, breaking up and we're slowly starting to see the cracks before the big boom. After this, we get CM Punk going against Sean Spears and MJF is on commentary for this. This match is so quick and so short because the bell rings. Sean Spears runs directly into CM Punk. CM Punk's able to hit a couple reversals on Sean Spears, and then lift him up for the GTS, hits him with the GTS, covers him, pins him, done. Probably about a good two to three minutes match right here. And that's it. CM Punk is then looking at MGF as he did a commentary. He's pointing for MGF to come down. MGF isn't trying to come down. So Punk just says, you know what, screw that. He starts getting on the ring ring, uh, turnbuckles. He goes and looks at the crowd. He starts doing his poses for the crowd. And MGF basically runs from the commentary table, runs into the ring, and he's trying to wait for Punk to get off the turnbuckle so he can hit him with that dynamite diamond ring. Punk is off the turnbuckle. He looks at MGF. MGF is now scared because now he realizes it's nothing but him and Punk in the ring. So Punk quickly runs over to MGF, grabs him, but he was able to only grab MGF by his scarf, and MGF rolls out of the ring, and he doesn't have a scarf. Punk has a scarf, and he's just staring at MGF, and he's just pointing and messing with MGF's scarf now as he's still pointing at MGF. So we're going to get MGF going against Punk somewhere down the line, probably at Chicago, not next week, but probably like whenever they go back to Chicago, because before the match begins between Sean Spears and CM Punk, if you do want to call it, you had a video package of CM Punk talking about how MGF is slowly running out of guys to throw against me. He talked about how you had FTR, you had Warlow, now you have Sean Spears. You're running out of guys, and you you know it's going to come. You know me and you is going to have to go against each other. And you don't want to face me where 
I'm most dangerous at. And they show clips of basically CM Punk's return back to Chicago. And I believe they showed a clip of CM Punk probably even going against Darby at All Out in Chicago. And we're kind of getting the drift that, okay, we might get the match at Chicago between Punk and MJF. We only got to see that. We'll, we'll see whenever that happens. But the match between Punk and MJF is soon to come. We go to backstage, Billy Guns. He meets with Christian Cage as Christian is entering the building. He tells Christian that the gun clubs, his son, Austin and Colton, have are in the ranked top five and they deserve a title shot. Christian says, you know what? They have everything that they need to be a top tag team here. Shoot, they get it from you. You're their father. But just like you, whenever the lights are bright, they just can't get the job done. So Billy takes offense to this. He grabs Christian from the back and Christian feels this. He tells Billy to get off of him, but he gets attacked by Austin and Colton. They throw him into some backstage, not backstage. They throw him into like a uh, steel, like sliding door. And they basically just beat up on Christian in the back and they make a statement. So we're going to see if the gun club are really the next tag team in the line for uh, the Lucha Brothers, not Lucha Brothers, God, Jurassic Express to get a shot at the Jurassic Express's uh, tag team championships. We'll see if that happens. We now go to Cody Rhodes entering promo, and this is Cody's first time back on AEW since uh, the new year. He hasn't been on it since he beat Ethan Page, but I believe that was on like, no, was that on? No, that was on Rampage. Anyway, uh, he has a giant ladder set up behind him, and we know where this is headed to, but before he goes to his business of the TNT Championship, he reminds people that, he reminds people of CM Punk having a pipe bomb. He talks about CM Punk's pipe bomb being the blueprint to the rest of the world, and basically how AEW basically started by Punk talking about how he was going to go over to New Japan, work there, and then go back to Ring of Honor, and do all these things. But he talks about how it was so taboo at the time, but Punk couldn't do these things because Punk had to leave the business and now Punk's back and he's enjoying the comeback of a decade. However, in that time that was left with Punk in that void being there, Cody talks about how he did everything Punk said that he would do. He was the guy that went to New Japan. He was the guy that went to Ring of Honor. He was the guy that built that bridge. He was the guy that built this whole forbidden door situation that we have right now. And he even says, if you want to check the receipts, you can. And I started to think about it. And I said, and I really thought to myself, I'm like, hmm, you know what? Cody's not technically wrong here because if you want to think about it, he did go to uh, Evolve. He went to. Uh, New Japan. No, but first he went to Ring of Honor first, though. No, first he was Evolve, then Ring of Honor, then New Japan, and then he went to... No, it was Evolve, TNA, Ring of Honor, then New Japan. That was the four. He was the only guy to have not be exclusive to anybody, and he was able to hit three markets consecutively. Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor. He starts hitting up all those three. He leaves Ring of Honor, not Ring of Honor, he leaves Impact because now he got like a better deal with Ring of Honor. He has a deal with Ring of Honor and he's able to still do his Bullet Club stuff 
with New Japan because Ring of Honor and New Japan have this partnership and they still do have this partnership still to this day, I believe. And he's able to go back and forth from Japan to America to anywhere else that he wanted to go. And he was able to carry the Bullet Club banner on his back and he's still able to carry the professional wrestling banner on his back, being the mainstream guy that everybody basically knows from WWE. He's able to still carry that. He creates this whole thing. He's one of the guys that creates this whole deal with Dave Meltzer. And Dave Meltzer saying that people can't, if you're not WWE, you can't draw a house of 10,000 if you're independent. And Cody makes a bet with him on Twitter. He makes that bet. Him and the Young Bucks produce All Out. No, not All Out, All In. And they have nothing but of independent professional wrestlers on a pay-per-view. And it sells out at the arena. And people are buying it online and buying it from their cable providers. Basically, Cody is right. That's his long story short. Cody is right. His receipts match up. Cody was able to do all these things. And he was able to build this forbidden door. And I'm not trying to say that from, like just to crap on anybody else. But Cody does is one of the forefathers. If we want to talk about it. And we really want to have that conversation. Go deep dive. Cody is one of the forefathers for this. He then talks about how he's gone for two weeks and how the Young Bucks almost started to say Wednesday Night War again because Red Dragon are back in, well, Red Dragon are in AEW, but they were a part of NXT at the time when the Wednesday Night Wars did happen. And he talks about how he doesn't need to see the Bucks defeat Red Dragon again. He doesn't need to see the Bucks graduate, uh, well, beat enhancement talent guys, and he calls Red Dragon enhancement talent. I'm not sure if that was talked over by the Cody to the uh, Red Dragon or not. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it was because Cody's that professional. But if it's not, I'm pretty sure he probably got some nasty looks from the Red Dragon once he got back from uh, this promo. And he then talks about how Ricky Starks is one of his best friends in the world and that he doesn't want to see him take the lethal injection because that's one of the cutters that people don't ever kick out of. So he tells Ricky to really avoid the lethal injection. And he talks about how you got to have balls to come into AEW and call yourself Brody. And he talks about Brody King coming in here. And he talks about how that's going to be a big mistake in eight years when Brody, uh, Brody Lee's son, Brody Jr., comes into wrestling and he'll show off why he is the one true Brody. Cody then goes off and talks about AEW does have secondary belts. And the only reason they technically have a secondary belt right now is because there are two TNT AEW champions. So now he gets into his business. He talks about how Tony Khan sent him a contract and Sammy a contract in the mail. And at Beach Break is going to be both of those championships hanging above the ring in a ladder match, old school, Razor Sean style, WrestleMania 10. So we're going to get Sammy going against Cody in a ladder match for both the TNT uh, championships. We'll see how that goes. I see probably what Sammy winning, and we're probably going to get Johnny Gargano popping out uh, and probably walking down towards the ring and shaking the winner's hand. I'm saying it's probably going to be Sammy, but I can see Cody winning it. Because why would you win it from Sammy on Christmas Day to only drop it at Beach Break? It doesn't. It won't make sense to me. It won't at all. But we'll see how we'll get there. If it was my betting bet, I'll say Cody wins and Johnny Gargano pops up. He goes down to the ring, shakes Cody's hand, and he looks at the TNT title and tells him, I'm next for that. And they'll accept it because 
AEW likes big surprises and Gargano being it being spring break that beach break is going to be over in uh Cleveland and they've been hyping this up for a minute we're going to see Gargano popping up and he's going to be the one after this we get a matchup between the House of Black and that's uh Malachi Black and Brody King going against Brian Pillman Jr. and Griff Garrison the Varsity Blondes quick solid uh tag match this is more just to show off what Brody King can do in the ring the House of Black beats the Varsity Blondes when they hit uh, Dante's Inferno, which is basically an assisted, uh, an assisted uh, power slam because Malachi Black has to lift up Brian Pillman, throw him over into Brody King. Brody King catches him, hits him with a power slam, and that's it. After the match, Malachi Black gets on the microphone, but before he can really say anything of importance, a video of Pac appears, and Pac talks about how he now sees everything clearly, and he's coming to basically beat up on Malachi Black when he does come back, and once the video stops, you see Malachi and Brody King searching everywhere for Pac, because they think Pac's going to pop out of nowhere, but it doesn't happen. We go to our next match, Frankie Gazarian going against Lance Archer with Jake Roberts and Dan Lamberg in his corner. Lance Archer beats Frankie Gazarian when he hits him with a chokeslam, then follow up with a blackout. Good, solid match between the two. Both of these guys are TNA or Impact Wrestling veterans, so they worked together before, and they have some chemistry. And it was a solid match. It was nothing but Lance Archer beating down on Kazarian, but Kazarian was able to get some uh, hits off on Archer. But this match was really nothing but just to highlight Archer since he's been gone for a good, solid months. After this, Dan Lambert gets on the mic, and he talks a little smack about Hangman Page. Archer gets on the mic and says, that's enough talking, and he's going to show what he's going to do when he gets his hands on Hangman Page. We get him about to choke slam Kazarian on the ramp, onto a steel chair, but Hangman Page comes out. You get Hangman and Lance Archer get face-to-face, and now you get both of these men start fighting each other, and you get people separating them to, well, more or less, uh, Dan Lambert separating Archer, trying to pull him back and tell him it's not time right now, not time right now. And that's it. So we're setting up for Archer to go against uh, Hangman Page. Next match, Sky Blue going against Serena. Serena beats Sky Blue, uh, and she hits her with the Serenity submission, which is basically a tequila sunrise. And after the match, she doesn't want to let go of the submission until some referees have to come down to separate Serena from Sky Blue to let her go of the submission. It was a good, solid match between the two. Again, nothing but just to show off Serena being the dominant wrestler in the ring and showing off her more ruthless side. But again, solid. We get a backstage thing of Ethan Page talking about how John Moxley's back here and how he's happy to see him back. But now people are scattered or like bugs because John Moxley, the big boogeyman, is back. But he's not afraid to go against John Moxley. And he tells John Moxley that he talked to Tony Khan and that on Friday at Rampage, it'll be him versus John Moxley. So it'll be Ethan Page going against John Moxley at Rampage. Ta-da. We get another backstage thing between Matt Hardy and the rest of the HFO, which is the private party and a butcher and a blade and the bunny with Andrade and his handler. Matt Hardy talks about how he sold Andrade 51% of the HFO, but he is still the CEO of the company and that him and the private party have three of the chairs of 
the whole business uh, agreement. So private party are technically parts of ownership of this whole new group. And Andrade is the president. And that's it. It's just basically we're creating one big mega faction now. So now Andrade's technically like the guy for this whole big mega faction. But Hardy will still be like the president, not president, but the CEO, the minds behind the situation. And Private Party and Butcher and the Blade are still going to probably be like the lackeys. I can't wait to see all this whole thing basically just go away. I mean, Andrade is a superstar. They need to do something with him. We already know where they're going with next because Andrade wants to have Darby in this whole super group. But we're going to see when that if that happens. And it probably won't because Darby is his own man. He likes working with Sting. We'll see it. Uh, after this, main event, the acclaim going against Darby Allen and Sting. And it's more or less Sting because they take out Darby Allen before the match happens. And Darby Allen has to go to the back. So it's more or less a handicap match throughout this whole thing of Darby, not Darby. Well, Darby not being there, but Sting going against the acclaim. And Sting was able to beat up on the acclaim by himself. I mean it. Like, Sting was able to beat up on the Acclaim. Yeah, sure, the Acclaim were able to beat down on Sting because it's two-on-one, obviously. But Sting was able to hold his own, and he was actually able to uh, lock in the Scorpion Deathlock on Anthony Bowens. But Max Caster uh, tries to punch Sting, but Sting doesn't let go of the Scorpion Deathlock. But, doing it, but Max Caster has to hit Sting with a super kick, and that does the trick with... Now, the referee being distracted, Anthony Bones goes outside of the ring, grabs the big old boombox that they carry, hits Sting with it, and out of nowhere, Darby Allen runs off, and he just comes out, and he blasts Anthony Bones. So now, Darby's back into the ring, and now it's a tag team match of Darby and Sting going against the Acclaim. Darby, and Al- Darby Allen and Sting do win the match when Darby hits Anthony Bones with a stunner and then the coffin drop and pins him. It was, again, a good solid main event, and more or less showed off what Sting can do by himself if he does have to do two-on-one situations, but again, solid main event, AEW Dynamite, solid mat, solid episode. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling starts off with Tasha Steeles with Savannah Evans in her corner going against Chelsea Green. Tasha Steeles is going against Chelsea Green because they had a backstage altercation last week. And while this is happening, Mickey James is down there at commentary watching this match. Tasha Steeles wins the match when she hits Chelsea with a crucifix bomb for the win. After the match, Tasha Steeles gets on the microphone and she tells Mickey James how she's going to beat Mickey James for the knockouts championship and send her back to Tennessee as a loser. This doesn't get underneath the skin of Mickey James, so Tasha has to get more personal talk about how she's going to send Mickey back to her husband and son as a failure. And once you hit that personal button, Mickey James gets in the ring and she gets in the face with Tasha and they start brawling with each other. Mickey has the upper hand until Savannah Evans gets involved in big boots, uh, Mickey James. And now it looks like it's going to be a two on one attack with Tasha and Evans beating up on Mickey, but Chelsea green gets on the top rope, hits Savannah Evans with a drop kick and evens up the odds. So now it's on two on two. Savannah and Tasha Skis, uh, Tasha Steeles has to retreat, and there's the end of it. Chelsea and Mickey are left in the ring, holding each other's hands in victory as they uh, got Tasha and Savannah Evans basically to retreat. We go to a backstage interview with Matt Cardona, and they talk about how Matt Cardona has challenged Jordan Grace for the Digital Media Championship. 
Cardona said that he came to Impact Wrestling with one intention in mind, and that's to win gold. And since he lost at Hard to Kill, he's going after another world title in this promotion, with, which will be the Digital Media Championship, the World Wide Web, the Internet Championship. It doesn't matter what you call it. Matt Cardona is the godfather of the internet for professional wrestlers using the internet as their mainstream or to captivate audiences. Matt Cardona was the first guy to do it, and he's still one of the best guys still to do it technically in the professional wrestling landscape at this point still. So he wants the championship basically to add to his collection with his internet championship. Uh, next match that we get, the influence, which is taught uh, to Neil Dashwood and Madison Rain with Caleb with a K in their corner going against Decay, Rosemary, and Havoc. It never happened because the influence attacked both Havoc and Rosemary, but they were able to injure Rosemary before the match begins. So it turns into a two-on-one handicap match of the influence going against Havoc. And the influence beat Havoc, obviously, because it's a two-on-one affair. Because Havoc gets hit with a cutter and then a spotlight kick. And then she hits a double. Then she gets hit by a double stroke by the influence. And that's it. After this, we get Ace Austin and Madman Fulton approaching Mike Bailey in his locker room. And Ace Austin is trying to recruit Mike Bailey to join him and Fulton. And at this time, Mike Bailey isn't too sure of Ace Austin or Madman Fulton, but Ace Austin does give Speedball Mike Bailey his card, so whenever Mike, whenever he does want to change his mind, he can join up with them. That's it. It is basically going to show off how Ace Austin is going to be trying to work with uh, Mike Bailey in this whole situation, but we'll see how that goes now. Uh, after this, we get the matchup of W. Morrissey going against the Learning Trees, VSK, and Zicky Dice with Brian Myers in their corner. Uh, Morrissey takes out both VSK and Ziggy Dice when he hits Ziggy Dice with a choke slam, and then VSK with a power bomb covers them. Done and done. After this, he gets on the microphone and he says that he's looking for Moose and how he's going to uh get Moose and beat him for the world championship, and how he's basically going to be looking for Moose until he gets that world championship opportunity. He goes outside of the ring, walks up to the back. He see he gets stopped by Scott Demore. Demore tells Morrissey to stop looking for Moose because Moose isn't in the arena and that he's going to give Morrissey his match with Moose at no surrender for the world championship. Uh, Scott Demore is interrupted by a backstage guy and he tells him that they're trying to contact you on your microphone because we have a problem at the front. Scott Demore gets on this microphone. He hears it and he has to follow the guy. We go to Matt Taven, PCO, Maria Canellis, Mike Bennett. And Vincent all at the, like the um what is it what is it the concession stand waiting for Scott Demore because they're saying they got their tickets to be here tonight they just want to see the show Scott Demore tells them listen you guys don't need tickets because you can you know what we got special seats for you we got you a box seat you're gonna be in the box you're gonna be right there watching the Ring of Honor Championship being defended and once that match is done you guys got to get out of here they all agree to it. They say, you know what? You ain't got to have no problem with us tonight. We're just here to watch the show. We're just here to watch and we'll go after the match is done. And just so have it, the match is next. The Ring of Honor World Champion Jonathan Gresham goes against Steve Macklin in a peer rules match for the Ring of Honor World Championship. This was a solid match. Uh, Macklin did not adhere to the Code of Honor because you're supposed to shake your opponent's hand before and after the match. Macklin didn't do that before the match nor after the match. 
Gresham was able to beat Macklin with a figure four while holding the ropes. And he was able to hold the ropes because they all, both of these men used all three of their ropes, uh, rope breaks throughout this whole match. So even if you were under the ropes or even if you did grab the ropes, it didn't matter because you used all your rope breaks. Gresham had Macklin in the figure four. Gresham held onto the ropes and he used it as leverage to add more pressure to Macklin's leg. Macklin taps out. Good, solid match between the two. You had the Ring of Honor uh, guys standing up watching this. And it was a solid match. They didn't even like interfere in the match. I thought they were going to, but they didn't. They were just there to truly watch. The next match that you get is Doc Gallows and Joe Doring going against Rhino and Heath Slater. Uh, Rhino and Heath loses this match to uh, Doring and Doc Gallows because... When the referee was distracted, Eric Young was able to hit Heath with the Violence by Design flag. And then Joe Doring and Gallows was able to hit Heath with a double uh, choke slam to win the match. Gallows and Doring are a good big man tag team, but since they're in two separate camps, we're not going to see them like truly be a tag team. But if they were to be a tag team, I will see no problem with them uh, being like a legit tag team together. I will have no problem with this at all. Now it's time for the main event of Impact Wrestling. Josh Alexander going against uh, Charlie Haas. This was a good. This was a good match between the two men. Charlie Haas hasn't wrestled on television in a minute now, so but he's been wrestling like on the independents. So it was a good match between the two. Just want to say that again. Josh Alexander does win the match whenever he puts uh, Charlie Haas in the ankle lock, and Charlie Haas tries to reverse it, but he can't reverse it because Alexander is in too much control. Of the ankle lock, so Haas has to tap out. Uh, again, solid match. You could tell that Charlie Haas was kind of like gassed out because after the match he couldn't like get up. He was kind of groggy, but he was able to still hug. Uh, Josh Alexander. They were able to embrace each other. They lift each other's hands up as two men of honor and do. But after the match, however, they were attacked by Taven, Matt Taven, Vincent, Mike Bennett, and PCO. All four of those men jumped on those two, and then you see Chris Saban come out, and then he tries to make the save, but still the number game, four or three. He still doesn't add up to it. And then you start seeing Rich Swan, Willie Mack, Heath, and Rhino come down, so now they're finally even out the odds Well, more impact guys than Ring of Honor guys, but the Ring of Honor guys are still overpowering all these guys and still beating them all of them up until Eddie Edwards comes down with a kendo stick, and he is able to make the Ring of Honor guys basically run away. So now you got all Impact guys standing in the ring as the Ring of Honor guys run away and they go back to their skybox and Maria Canellis is right there with the microphone and she's around them. And they say that they used to believe in honor and the rules and doing the right way, but all that has changed. And now they're here to bring about change to Impact Wrestling. And apparently their group is now called Honor No More. So, I mean, I'm cool with the name because you get where they're coming from. Ring of Honor is supposed to be a Ring of Honor technically invasion. So, I get why their group name is called Honor No More. I just, again, I'm hoping that they get more guys into this rivalry, into this whole beef. Because, again, just these four guys against an Impact roster, I don't see how this is going to get the job done. I would like to see them include a Shane Taylor promotions because, again, Shane Taylor promotion was the 
group that were kind of like leading the charge for Ring of Honor throughout this whole pandemic stuff. They were the guys really helping out because Shane Taylor was hitting out of the park matches. They were able to give Shane Taylor matches and he would be hitting them out of the park. They were able to give him and his, uh, him, Moses and Khan, other tag teams, other six man tag teams to work with. And they were able to hit it out of the park. Shane Taylor promotions basically just basically was the stable throughout this whole pandemic in Ring of Honor. So I hope they include Shane Taylor into this. I hope they include Shane Taylor promotions into this because they deserve that bigger spotlight. And even though Ring of Honor is coming back and it does state that Ring of Honor is coming back with their first uh, event card called Super Card of Honor and it's going to be Josh, Jonathan Gresham and Bandito going against each other for the Unified Ring of Honor Championship. That's fine. I just want Shane Taylor promotions to be somewhere in the mix of this because they were holding down Ring of Honor throughout this whole pandemic time inside that bubble, along with everybody else. But I just feel that Shane Taylor in his group are like a a big piece that are missing in the professional wrestling landscape right now. That's what I feel. People might feel their own separate way, but me personally, I believe that Shane Taylor and his group of men need to be in a promotion right now because they deserve that. They've earned that after being in Ring of Honor during the pandemic time and basically holding it up, being one of the people to hold up Ring of Honor. But anyway, with all that being said, that is your Impact Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's off to SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with an in-ring promo from the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Uso. They're basically out here to let the people know that Roman Reigns is the longest reigning Universal Champion with the days of 508 days consecutively. They give this big, long introduction saying that Roman Reigns is the longest reigning Universal Champion, and Roman Reigns comes out. Roman gets in the ring. He does his whole acknowledge me shtick. Then the Usos get on the microphone and say, now they're going to play a highlight video of Roman as the Universal Champion. They start off from day one, whenever, not the pay-per-view, but when he actually won the actual Universal Championship in 2020 in uh, a triple threat match with The Fiend and Braun Strowman. They don't show The Fiend, but they do show Roman hitting the spear on Braun, and they mark that as day one, and then they go forward, and they start showing a complete highlight packages of the people that he beat. They show Kevin Owens. They show Brian Danielson. They show Edge. They show the WrestleMania main event of him and uh, Brian Danielson and Edge at WrestleMania. They show him beating Cesaro. They show him beating uh, Edge again at Money in the Bank. They show him beating Rey Mysterio and Hell in a Cell. They show him beating John Cena at SummerSlam, Brock Lesnar at uh, Crown Jewel, I believe that was the pay-per-view that they had in Saudi. Uh, they show him beating Big E. They, like I said, they go through a whole highlight of Roman being the Universal Champion for 508 days. After the video package ends, before Roman can even say anything of, like, worthy or even anything of major, Seth Rollins' music hits and Seth Rollins comes out. Seth Rollins is basically out here to ruin the celebration. And Seth talks about how Roman sent through Usos uh, to him on Monday to do Roman's dirty work. Seth then says that the Usos have been propping Roman up just like him and Mox did in the Shield, and he even said Mox on WWE television. Seth then says that the Usos are the longest reigning tag team champions in SmackDown history, and they have been the cornerstone of that whole entire bloodline, and they should be celebrated because they've been the ones to make sure that Roman stays the Universal Champion throughout those whole 508 days. Roman tells Seth that, you know what, you don't have to worry about my cousins at the Royal Rumble because 
it's going to be a fair fight and you have my word. Seth tells him he doesn't believe him, so he decides to make a challenge to Roman. He says he'll find a partner tonight, and it'll be him and his partner going against the Usos tonight. And if he wins, the Usos will be like barred from ringside at the Royal Rumble. Roman hears this. He just stares down at the mat, and he doesn't like agree to it at all. He just stares at the mat, and he's letting this all play out in his head. But Jay gets on the microphone and says, hey, we accept. Jay and Roman lock eyes, and Jay has to tell Roman that, listen, nobody is going to team up with Seth Rollins. Nobody's that crazy to want to team up with Seth. Seth gets on the microphone and says, you know what, Jay, you're right. I do have a lot of enemies. And then Kevin Owens' music hits, and Kevin Owens walks out on the stage. So now you got Roman staring at both Kevin Owens and uh, Seth Rollins as they're hugging each other and they're smiling about this. Roman says, cut that crappy music. Roman says, you know what? Let's raise the stake. If, no, when my cousins beat you tonight, you can't have your match at the Royal Rumble with me for the Universal Championship. That match is canceled. I will have the night off. How about that? Seth agrees to the match, so we now have our main event for SmackDown, a tag team match. Uso is going against Seth and KO with a lot at stakes. Now it's time for the first match of the night. We get Mad Cat Moss with Happy Corbin in his corner going against Kofi Kingston, who happens to bring Big E out with him in his corner. And Kofi wins the match by pinfall when he hits the Trouble in Paradise on Mad Cat Moss as he was running off the ropes. And Kofi basically just catching him with the Trouble in Paradise. After the match, Corbin was about to get in the ring to check on Mad Cat, but Big E gets in the ring and he cuts Corbin off. He yells at Corbin, this is your guy. This is your man. Come on, help him out. Get him. Corbin gets off the ring apron and just stares at Kofi and Big E. And Kofi is just looking at E as E is constantly like taunting Corbin to get in the ring. But Corbin just, Corbin doesn't get in the ring. What he does, he watches as Big E picks up Madcap and he hits the big ending on Madcap. So this sets up for a tag team match next week on SmackDown. It's going to be the New Day. Kofi Kingston and Big E going against Madcap Moss and Happy Corbin in a tag team match. After this, we have another one-on-one match, and we're running it back. Aaliyah going against Natalia. Natalia happens to lose her cool in this match and happens to give the match away to Aaliyah whenever Natalia keeps on stomping on Aaliyah on the bottom. When Aaliyah's at the bottom corner of the turnbuckles, and the referee tells Natalia that she needs to stop and basically gives her to the count of five. Natalia keeps on stomping on Aaliyah, so, and Natalia doesn't quit, so the referee gives the win to Aaliyah, so Aaliyah wins the match by disqualification. After the match, Natalia keeps on stomping on Aaliyah until Zia Lee comes out to make the save, and this is Zia Lee's second time on SmackDown uh, in total, because her first time was Nata- uh, saving Naomi from a basically almost a three-on-one beatdown from uh, Shayna Baszler, Natalia and uh, Sonya Deville. Now this is Zaylee's second time, and she's saving Aaliyah from Natalia. So this is telling you that Zaylee is gonna have some type of feud or something with Natalia. Anyway, Zaylee gets in the ring. Natalia gets in Zaya's face. Zaya happens to hit a spinning kick to Natalia's stomach. Natalia then rolls out of the ring and walks up the ramp. So again, we're gonna see a feud between Zaylee and Natalia. That's at least where I think this is headed. After this, we get a tag team match. Los Lotharios going against the Viking Raiders. 
Viking Raiders win the match by pinfall when they hit the Viking experience on Humberto for the win. Simple. After this, we get Naomi going against Charlotte Flair, and I thought we were going to get a legit one-on-one match right down the middle since Adam Pearce gave Naomi uh, her rematch against Charlotte Flair, and he told her this last week, so now we're here a week later. Before the match begins, Sonya Deville gets in the ring, and she tells the referee to hand over his referee shirt and give it to her. The ref does it, so now we have Sonya Deville as a special guest referee for this match with uh, Naomi and Charlotte Flair. Let me say this right now. This whole thing was a complete screw job, as we all know it. Uh, Charlotte wins the match by submission. Naomi had the match win one when she hit uh, Charlotte with the rear view, and she was pinning Charlotte, but Sonya Deville was on the outside of the ring collecting herself, getting herself together, and she had Charlotte down for the count of six, but Sonya Deville wasn't paying attention, and she didn't care to pay attention. But once Naomi looked at Sonya Deville on the outside, Charlotte got up and hit Naomi behind one of her knees and then locked in the figure four. Sonya Deville got in the ring and quickly called for the bell, so it was another screw job in WWE history. Pat McAvee's the man. Pat McAvee is straight up saying this thing stinks. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like Sonya Deville. He doesn't like what she's doing. I mean, my man is not having it. And Pat McAvee is a true WWE fan. He's one of the guys that like says, like, dude, this thing completely sucks. Anywho, this leads to now Sonya Deville going to her office and she sees Adam Pierce, who is her partner, basically gonna be running SmackDown and Raw with her. And you see Eric Bischoff, a former GM on Raw. And Adam Pierce has to tell Sonya Deville that what she did tonight was a complete abuse of power and that he's going to be recommending her to the board of directors. And she's basically going to have a match with Naomi next week. That's what he's going to recommend. Later in the night, we find out that that match has been made official. So next week on SmackDown, we'll hopefully we'll see Naomi finally get her hands on Sonya Deville. After this, we get Sami Zayn having a demonstration in the ring. Because in the middle of the ring, we see a table with handcuffs on it, pepper spray, a billy clubs, a cattle prod, and other miscellaneous things. Sami Zayn's basically out here to prove that he could do anything Johnny Knoxville can do, but basically better, because he's better than Johnny Knoxville. He grabs the crack cattle prod, and he puts it at his leg, and he puts it on the first uh, voltage level, and he shocks himself. He doesn't really shock himself because obviously WWE isn't going to allow that. So they have the uh, int- like the special effects guys play some type of static uh, s- electricity on the PA system. So it makes it seem like he's shocking himself. So Sammy plays it off. It was, this thing was a whole complete mess. It wasn't, I don't like what they're trying to do here. If they just need to have Sammy just be Sammy, that aggravating, annoying guy. Yeah, he can do all this stuff, but. Why would you? I understand it's part of the entertainment value in WWE. But remember what you are. You're world wrestling entertainment. You're wrestling in it. Sammy is a great phenomenal wrestler. He is also able to make people hate him the most. Let him just talk and berate Johnny Knoxville every week until like somebody like a Rick Books comes out there and punches him or do some type of jackass like stunt towards Sami Zayn to pull off and show him that you can't do what Johnny Knoxville does. Anyway, Johnny Knoxville comes out, he turns on the cattle prod, he puts it at Sami Zayn's chest and shocks him with it. Again, doesn't really shock him. Sound effects 
Sami Zayn sells it like he's been shocked in the stomach. After this, Ricochet has his match with Sheamus, and Sheamus now has the returning Ridge Holland by his side. If you remember, Ridge Holland had his nose broken by Ricochet at the day one pay-per-view, so this is his first time being in a WWE ring or around the ring since that day one uh, pre-show match. Sheamus does win the match by pinfall when he catches, well, when he hits Ricochet with a bro kick to win the match. It was a solid match between Sheamus and Ricochet. Ricochet got a new entrance theme because we came back and we happen to see here the theme and his theme is new. It seems to me they want to do, they're not doing that with Ricochet. I don't understand. Ricochet has everything you want in a professional wrestling uh, talent. He has a look. He can do the flips. He can wrestle in the ring. You can sit him with some type of uh, non-talking like style gimmick and he can still give you something of what you want. He can, he has something, but I don't know what WWE wants from him. I don't know what they want him just to be the enhancement guy to make people look good because Ricochet could do that, or they want to saddle him with a mid-card level situation or lower card. It doesn't make sense to me why you would do that. Ricochet is literally a human highlight reel, and you would it behooves me why a million dollar, billion dollar company doesn't want to use him for multiple highlight videos. It's redundant to me and stupid. But hey, it's Vince McMahon's company, and we're all just watching the product. After this, we got the main event, uh, SmackDown. We get Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens going against the Usos. Remember the ramifications. Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens wins. Usos are barred from Seth's match with Roman at the Royal Rumble. If uh, the Usos win, Seth Rollins does not have his match at the Royal Rumble with Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. We're going to get that match because Seth and KO win the match, but by disqualification. Because when Seth was about to curb stomp Jimmy Uso, Roman runs into the ring and hits Seth with a Superman punch after the Usos and Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins had a great main event match on SmackDown. It really came down to really who's going to hit their finish first, and Seth was close to hitting it first. Well, no, he did hit the curb stomp on Jimmy, but then as he was about to pin him, Seth uh, got hit with by the Superman punch by Roman Reigns. So let me correct that. I had to think about it, what happened chronologically. Anyway, Seth and Kevin Owens win the match by disqualification because Roman does, well, give them the win. So we're going to have our match at the Royal Rumble between Seth and Roman for the Universal Championship. And also the Usos will be barred from ringside. I will give you my uh, Royal Rumble predictions next week, but I'm saying it right now. I think Roman Reigns is going to still retain his Universal Championship some way, somehow. Because on commentary, they did like let the people know that in championship opportunities or championship matches, Seth Rollins has always beaten Roman Reigns. So Roman Reigns is kind of now trying to figure out how this is how he's going to do it. So we're going to see how this works uh, at the Royal Rumble. And that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's AEW Rampage. Rampage opens up with a John Moxley going against Ethan Page match. And this was a good match to start off AEW Rampage. Ethan Page is a good wrestler. I don't understand why people crap on Ethan Page or like to shoot him down so much. It doesn't make sense to me. But he gives John Moxley a good return match. It goes back and forth between the two. 
And John Moxley does win the match by submission when he locks in the bulldog choke on Paige. And Paige looks like he's about to fight out of it, but he just fades to black, no pun intended, like goes to sleep. And then the referee calls for the bell. So John wins the match by referee stoppage slash submission. After the match, John gets up and he's celebrating his win. Ethan Page is collecting himself and he's realized that he lost and he's okay with it. He turns John Moxley around. You see Ethan talk to him for a minute, but then John like flips him off and then hits the paradigm shift on Ethan Page and then walks out of the ring. As he walks back into the audience, the same way that he walked into the ring, you see he's met by Brian Danielson and they just stare down with each other until Moxley walks away from Brian. And if you do remember, at the finals of that whole championship, well, AEW World uh, Championship tournament, Eliminator tournament, I believe we were supposed to get Brian Danielson going against John Moxley before Moxley had to enter himself and get himself, like, some help. So now it seems to me that we're going to now get that match between Moxley and Danielson. But when? I don't know, but we're already in the like stages for that to happen. Just want to point that out. After this, we have Nick Jackson with Mac Jackson and Brandon Cutler in his corner going against Trent Barreto, who has Orange Cassidy in his corner. Trent wins the match by pitfall when he hits Nick with strong zero to win the match. This was a great match from two tag team uh, wrestlers that are basically, that's their forte. Trent is known for being in tag teams like Rapungi Vice and the Best Friends while Nick Jackson's known for being in the tag team, the Young Bucks, with his brother Matt Jackson. But when you have Nick in a singles match, he's always able to show out, and you really question why he's not a singles competitor, but you understand that he likes tag team, tag teaming with his brother Matt Moore. While Trent, again, he's another singles competitor, well, tag team competitor, that he could be a singles competitor guy, but I just think that he likes tag teaming with his legitimate friend Chuck Taylor and he likes tag team wrestling more than he does singles wrestling but again these two had a great match on Rampage I suggest you watching it it was good after this we had Hook the AEW's legit prime time player for Rampage because I think Rampage is literally centered around Hook going against Serpentico Hook wins the match by submission when he locks in the red rum on Serpentico and Serpentico taps out. Hook did attack Serpentico before the match began, but Hook, Serpentico had no offense. He was literally just there just to get beat down by Hook. Hook hit him with multiple suplexes, uh, punches, uh, some type of judo throw, different arm bar lock, and he would just finish him off with the red rum. It was really like a quick what, five, six-minute match of nothing but Hook just beating up on Serpentico. He locks in the red rum. Serpentico taps out. After the match, Hook doesn't let go of the red rum. So QT Marshall comes out. He gets on the mic. He says, this is the problem with Hook. He does this, and you guys eat it up like complete idiots. Hook walks by. Well, he's about to walk past QT Marshall, but QT grabs Hook by the arms and spin him towards him. Hook looks at QT, and QT says, what, you going to try to sucker punch me now? I'm here. I'm here in your face, and I can see it this time. Hook grabs him, sets him up for a suplex, and he just suplexes QT Marshall on the entrance stage. He walks over QT and just walks to the back. Taz 
Hook's dad is on commentary and he laughs at this when this happens. Taz is a proud father watching his son like wrestle on television and I can't I love it. I love to see it. I love to see whenever a father or mother is happy of their child because I guarantee you that's all the kid really wants to do is make their parent proud and knowing that Hook is making his dad proud, I guarantee that's a great thing for that father-son bonding between Hook and Taz. Anyway, now to the main event, the TBS Championship matchup between Jay Cargill with Mark Sterling in her corner, going against her challenger Anna Jay with John Silver in her corner. Jay wins the match by pinfall when she hits Jaded on Anna for the win and retains the TBS Championship match. It was a good two-and-up match for uh, Jade Cargill. Anna did give Jade a fight. She even at one point had Jade in the Queen Slayer, which is a sleeper hold, and Jade looks like she was not going to tap out, but it looked like for a good second, like, all right, Jade is in trouble here. But Jade was able to outpower Anna Jay, lift her up, and back her into a corner and basically break out of it that way. Then hit a one-arm powerbomb and then hit the Jaded for the win. Um, Those were your TBS Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I just want to say uh, one thing here. I want to thank Mr. Fred Rosser again. Uh, Fred Rosser, who is a WWE veteran formerly known as Darren Young in WWE, but once he left WWE, he went by his name, Fred Rosser, on the Independence, and now in New Japan Pro Wrestling, he is a New Japan wrestler and he's more known now on new japan strong since he can't go to japan yet because well you know the restrictions and everything but he's a lot comfortable in new japan strong over in the west coast of america anywho fred rosser uh did an interview with me this week and is out on youtube if you want to check the youtube channel out it's called my two cents podcast all one word and me and Fred Rosser had a talk. Fred, Mr. Rosser, if you will, uh, he broke down why he thinks the Nexus documentary got shelved. And I asked him about why, well, can he explain what he talked about in the Nexus documentary that we won't get to see right now? Um, he talked about... His time in Nexus, he talked about how he wasn't comfortable at the time because he wasn't out as himself. Um, we talked about other things in the interview as well. I would like for you guys to check it out, but Fred Rosser is a nice human being because let me give you guys some behind-the-scenes situation. Before the interview began, uh, he, me and him tried to figure out how this whole thing was going to work. Uh, we tried to figure out, like, because we're on Zoom and I wasn't the host, so I couldn't record it. And he tried to uh, figure out how to switch over and try to figure out how I can record it. He tried to do everything where I'm not sure if any other person would have been that like helpful to somebody that's interviewing them. I'm not sure that. I just know that Fred Rosser helped me out with this because he was so gracious. He took time out to help me out to basically change everything over he kept asking me okay do you got it yet i said nah so we constantly try to figure it out he ended up switching over the hosting position to me so i was able to record it and we were able to get the interview on the way but he took time out to basically help me to get this interview together so we can give out and 
basically give a good interview so the public will like the interview. I'm not sure if any other person would be able to do that, but Fred did that for me. Mr. Rosser did that for me. Uh, so again, I would like to thank him for that. I would like for him, I would like to thank him for also spending more time with me chatting it up on the interview because he didn't have to. We had a 15 minute time limit, but we extended that probably about 12 more minutes than that. So again, he extended the time out and I gracefully took it. And I try to get in as much as I can within that time, still respecting his time. But I just want to give thanks to Mr. Fred Rosser for that, because, again, he's my first professional like interview. And with that now have been underneath my belt, I know how to look at the camera more. I know what I, kind of mistakes I made in that interview. I got feedback off of it. So now whenever I conduct another professional interview, I'll be able to correct that in those moments and in those cases so I won't make those type of mistakes again. So again, thank you to Mr. Fred Rosser for being that first uh, professional interview for me and just basically having the patience to just be there for me. Again, thank you. If you want to check out the interview, again, it's on the YouTube page, My Two Cents Podcast, all one word. It's going to be there. It's the, like, it's the newest upload there. So again, I would appreciate it if you check it out and leave me some feedback in the comments. Or uh, if you want to like send me an email to tell me, hey, this is how you can do better on this. Or I saw you do this and I like the way you did this. Like, Give me some feedback. Uh, again, thank you all for uh, just being there for me this whole year as well. Because... I want now I want to say thank you to everybody that has been listening. Um I want to say thank you cuz throughout this whole year it's been a growing situation for me. I am a new guy stepping into a profession where there's multiple and I mean millions upon millions of podcasts around the world where you just easily can go in and just listen to somebody talk and rant and rave and give their own personal opinions but you decide to listen to me and that's great because now with that, I was able to get that opportunity to interview Fred Rosser. I was given that opportunity to do that. And with this year, I'm hoping to get other opportunities, cool opportunities to either interview somebody or endorse something or do something that can build up my resume and build me up. So whenever it is time for me to start making those big money like agreements and big money deals, I can easily do that with having this as my background, this as my uh, starting kit, this as my, hey, you can look at this and see what I've been doing. I haven't been crapping around. I've been constantly doing everything. So I want to thank everybody that's been constantly listening to me and listening to me on my Saturday episodes today and listen to my Sunday episodes tomorrow. Um, Tomorrow, you probably might want to listen to it because I talk about family. Just want to give you a hint and a heads up on that. Anyway. That's just my whole thank you for just sticking and rocking with me for allowing me to do this cool thing and interview uh, Fred Rosser this past week. Anyway, now with all that out of the way, let me give you guys my social media links so I can get you guys out of here. On Twitter, you can find me at, at my two podcast, Instagram, my two cents podcast, G2. 
Uh, my email is my two cents pot at yahoo.com. Again, I would like for you to please email me whether you're having a good day, bad day, you feel depressed, you feel like nobody's listening to you, or if you happen to see my interview, you can give me some tips on what I could have done better or questions I could have asked or show me, tell me, okay, uh, you like this, but I would have changed that. Just feedback in general will be greatly appreciated. And you can also just talk to me there as well. Um, with all that being said, I love you all. I thank you for listening. Uh, this isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by my Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. He is I and I am him. And with that all being said, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.